You'll find the notes to this morning's message in the bulletin or online on our website. Please open your Bible to Psalm 119. We will continue our study of the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. And we're going through this one strophe, one section at a time. As we saw in our introduction, the psalm is tightly structured. Eight verses per letter of the Hebrew Bible in order. And so we're taking each eight-verse chunk as part of our study. This morning, we begin the baith, bait, strophe. And so I'd like to read Psalm 119. Verses 9 through 16, then we'll have a word of prayer, and we will dive in. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that... I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to echo the psalmist's heart cry. We want you to teach us. We want you to cause our steps not to stray. We desire to seek you with our whole heart. We are those who need your word. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to learn, fall into this pattern, that we might prize holiness and purity, that we might desire it above riches, that we might pursue it rightly, In Jesus' name, amen. This week we consider the path of purity. Um, Not necessarily a a Christian ideal that everyone's striving for, sadly. Churches want to be known for different things. I don't know how often churches desire to be known as the pure church, the holy church. Although Paul commends the Romans in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, your obedience is known to all. This should mark us. It should characterize us. And the psalmist lays out in verse 9 the central question and theme of this chunk. If you'll remember, in the first row, verses 1 to 8, began with these beatitudes, these blessings, describing the blessed person six different ways. The blessed person are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. And so now, this next question comes, how can a young man keep his way pure? And that will be the the focus of this chunk. We're going to look at it in three points. First, the most practical of questions. The most practical of questions, verses 8 through 11. 8 through 11. The question is laid out, and it's a pretty clear format. The question is asked, the the answer is given, and then a response is elicited from the psalmist. So let's consider first the question. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
Now, obviously, I need to start by making it clear, even though the question is about a young man, I think what we see here be applicable to a middle-aged man, an old man, a young woman, older woman. Some have suggested this gives some insight into the identity of the psalmist, a young man possibly writing this, but it could be an old man looking back on his youth. You, you can't really be dogmatic. Again, the, the picture of someone like Daniel in exile in Babylon fits well. But this is the question on his mind, and what, what has raised it? I think two things have raised this question. First, he's asking this question because of the immense blessing attached to blamelessness. We saw that in the first three verses of this song. In contrast to what the world says is blessing, in contrast to where your heart encourages you to seek for blessing, this psalm makes it clear. Blessing is found on those united to God and his word whose hearts are passionate for him and who walk in his testimonies. So if that's the case, if that's true, and we also saw God added, he's commanded this blessing. So not only is this blessing laid out, but God says, I I command you to have this blessing. Command you to be blessed in this way. It's natural enough that the psalmist would say, okay, well then how can I be blameless? How can I be pure? There's another reason I think this question's asked is because of the immense difficulty Involved in the project. The word for pure here is the same word used in Proverbs 20, verse 9, which says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. And of course, the assumed answer is no one can. So is this a blessing that's just pie in the sky, hypothetical? Or is this just a blessing we receive in the eschaton when we're perfectly pure and holy but nothing practical for now? Well, I insisted last week, no, this blessing this is something we should be pursuing now in this life. We're talking about real, practical holiness. Not a perfect holiness, a flawed holiness, but a holiness that is real and performed nonetheless. In the same way that Scripture can speak of Job as blameless, as David can say, hey, I'm blameless here. These are practical, faith-wrought works, not things that earn us acceptance to God, but things that evidence the change in our heart. And again, I'll remind you, this is a psalm for Christians, for believers. This is not about how you become reconciled with God. This is about how those reconciled with God pursue him, pursue holiness. And that's another important distinction to make. If you remember in our introduction, I stress there are three things we're going to see in in this psalm. Three, and there's more than three, but three things I've highlighted. One, praise. Two, petition. Three, promise. And, and this chunk has all three of those. Praise, the psalmist praising God, praising his word. Petition, asking things from the Lord. And promise, the psalmist committing things he will do. You see them all here. And this is an important distinction to get. As we pursue holiness, as we pursue obedience, it's important that we do it in the right way and for the right motive. Legalism is when we're pursuing obedience as a means of acceptance. If I do these things, then God will accept me. Legalism can also be defined as doing it in our own strength. You know, the stiff stiff upper lip and all that. And, And this psalm belies both of those wrong approaches. We see both the psalmist calling on God for help and the psalmist committing he's going to work it's not entirely passive. That can be another error. You know, sanctification is God's work. Well, it is God's work. It's our work as well. In salvation, we believe and God does all the activity. He, he regenerates. He justifies. He unites us. He 
gives us His Spirit. He adopts us. He declares us innocent. We believe, and and so we can speak of salvation as monergistic, one person at work. But sanctification, growth in holiness, it's a group project. Yes, I know God causes us to both willing to do according to His good pleasure, but in that same verse in Philippians, Paul says that's the very reason we need to get to work. There is work, energy on our part as well. And we see that here. So we ask the question, how can the young man keep his way pure? Because he wants the blessing, because he wants to please the Lord, and because this is hard. This is hard. It's no easy thing. Well, the answer that comes is, I believe, pretty clear. By guarding it according to your word. Now, this, this may seem obvious, but I want to stress at least two points here. The first is, once again, we see the Bible's assumption that God's word and God's word alone is the measurement of purity. And we've got to pause for a moment because our culture and the world around us have all sorts of opinions about what's right, what's wrong, what's clean, what's filthy, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And a lot of, I think... Um, our problems in the West come from assuming the culture's values, then sort of coming to the Bible and being embarrassed by what it has to say. And, and this psalm makes it clear, if you're interested in purity, if you're interested in holiness, God's word alone defines what that is. To put it simply, how do you know what's right? How do you know what's wrong? And yes, there's some evidence of the law of God in our heart, But our consciences can be misinformed. Our consciences can be flat out in error. And so when this critical question is raised, how can I be pure? How can I be holy? I've got to guard it according to his word. That according to, and here's your next point, is picturing the word like a rule or measuring stick. You want to see something straight, you hold it up next to a ruler or a straight edge. And that's the idea. Here's this edge, this marker And you bring it into conformity. You must conform your life to its rule. You must conform your life to its rule. So let's not skip over the obvious. Let's make the point. The pursuit of holiness is the pursuit of conforming your life more and more to God's word. That's what it is. It's nothing other than that. Which means there is no pursuit of holiness apart from scripture. There is no pursuit of holiness simply pursuing our own ideas of what is right and wrong. We need to be humble enough to let God inform us as to what's right and what's wrong. We need to conform ourselves. The challenge is we want to conform Scripture to what we think is right. And in so many places, that's what people are trying to do. Rather than conforming their life to Scripture, they're conforming Scripture to their life. And the answer here is clear. By guarding it, by keeping it according to your word. And this is not some Old Testament theme only. We can be tempted to think, okay, the Old Testament, that's law, that's rules. New Testament's love and relationship. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we, how do we know we're Christians? How do, we, how do we know we're saved? Well, there's a couple of answers the Bible can give, but let me read one of them to you. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. By this we know that we have come to know him, that we keep or guard his commandments. Pretty close to what's said here. The one who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the question of 
keeping God's law, keeping his commandments is practical both in pursuing holiness. It's practical also in identifying if you're a child of God. This is not some Old Testament thing only. Through scripture, this is the mark of the redeemed. It's not how you become redeemed, but it is the evidence and mark of the redeemed. So the question, how, how, how can I keep my way pure? How can I pursue holiness? The answer, only by conforming, holding to God's word. Which then elicits the response of the psalmist. It elicits a response. And we see it in two points here. Verse 10 and verse 11. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let's, let's look at this, uh, these three declarations of the psalmist's response. And we can be intimidated with the first one. I've, with my whole heart I seek you. With my whole heart I seek you. The blank here is desire. Desire. Now it's interesting. Note this. What have we said the answer to holiness is? It's, it's conformity to the word. What might you expect then the response to be? I have sought your word. No. With my whole heart, I seek you. And, and the reason for that, we talked about this last week, is how you interact with God's word is how you interact with God. What God says represents him, so to speak. And so the psalmist is pursuing God and he's pursuing his word. And you say, well, which one is it? Are you pursuing the word? Are you pursuing God? The answer is yes. With my whole heart, I seek you. I gave you the example last week. If I give a command or if I give an instruction to one of my children, how they interact with that is evidence of our relationship. If I say to my son, hey, can you, I want you to go and shovel Grand's deck. And he lifts his nose up in the air and says, whatever. That says a lot about our relationship. Well, it's just how I responded to his words. No, how my son responds to my words is how he responds to me. You get that. And yet we can tell ourselves, I love God, but I don't like his word. I love God, but I don't like the scripture. I love Jesus. I just don't like Paul. Or however many different ways people try to put this together. The psalmist gives the answer. It's God's word alone that enables him to be holy. It's pursuing it laying his life according to it. And then the next statement is, I've sought you. Because he sees no distinction between the word of God and the God of the word. Okay? So desire. Now, we can be intimidated with that. That's a pretty big statement. With my whole heart, I have sought you. I seek you. And we can be intimidated by that. Now, the very next clause makes it clear this is not some statement or declaration of absolute perfection. I tend to think... He's speaking about spurts, moments, times, maybe even while he's composing this psalm because he's well aware of his frailties, well, well aware of his flawed nature. Um, he's well aware of his weakness. So lest you think this is some boast, I think he means right now, with my whole heart I seek you. There are times that's true. There are other times where that's not true, as the next clause makes clear. But more to the point, I think he's referencing the very promises of God. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. The wording here seems to me very similar to a promise God laid out through the prophet Moses in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
I'll pick it up in verse 26. Moses is predicting that the people will be faithless. Despite the fact that he's laying this covenant out, the law out, Moses is well aware that the law is not going to get us home. The law project will fail. It will fail because the people's frailty, their sinfulness. And so in verse 26, he writes, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. This is what you call one of those pick-me-up speeches. Nobody's warning them. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the nations. You'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. I've suggested this psalm is written by someone in exile. What Moses predicts here in Deuteronomy 4 has happened, has come upon Israel. And he's remembering what God promised. And he's claiming that promise. I've searched for you. I've sought you with my whole heart. And I think the implied reasoning is, and you said that when we did that, we would find you. I think it's the basis for the petition that follows. So this desire for God is in accordance to God's own promise. And this is, this is good news for us. God can tell his people even when you leave me, even when you worship other gods, even when I've disciplined you severely, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. You will find me. That promise is repeated in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so the psalmist is able to say, at least in this moment, Lord, that's my desire. And then based upon that, he's calling God to be faithful to his word. Do not let me wander. Let me not wander from your commandments. So this isn't pride. This is a recognition of God's nature and character, who he is, what he has said, what he's promised. Saying, okay, I I have sought you. I am seeking you with my whole heart. Oh, Lord God, don't let me fall away means when you seek God, you seek God to, to receive. You come to him. What's Hebrews 11 say? Those who believe, believe he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Psalmist is seeking him. He's seeking him for a reward. The reward that God might keep him to him. So the response to this question and answer is first and foremost desire. Desire for God. And believing God keeps his word. I want And I seek God because God is faithful and he is kind to those who seek him. The second is dependence. Dependence. He knows even if I've managed to get my heart passionate for you now, it won't stay there. My heart's fickle. I don't know about you, but my heart will desire other things. Wake up in the morning or whatever happens, my heart can move about. So the psalmist cries out, Oh God, let me not wander from your commandments. Again, here we see the divine sovereignty as well as human responsibility. If you're going to be faithful to God, if you're going to obey him, you need his enabling and his help. And so rather than pride that says, I can do that, I will do that, he says, Lord, I need you to make me do that. 
I need you to direct my feet. Dependence on God. In fact, this is similar to something that's said in uh, Psalm 37. In Psalm 37, um, yeah, verse, yeah, turn to Psalm 37. There's a couple parallels in Psalm 37 to what's going on here that are worth noting. Um, Psalm 37. Look at verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Same rationale. Lord, I desire you. I want you. And yet I know within me, my own heart, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Bind it for your courts above. Don't, don't let me stray. If I do, bring me back. So the response is a desire. The response is a dependence. Dependence on God. And finally, the response of deposit. Because that's the language is, is of, of depositing money in the bank or burying treasure. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And one commentator writes, and I just put it in your notes here, this is the best thing hidden in the best place for the best purpose. Best thing, God's word, hidden in the best place, our hearts, for the best purpose. You're still at Psalm 37. A similar pattern is seen here. Um, Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. The law of the Lord is in his heart. His steps do not slip. You see the connection. Why, why say this? Remember, the overarching theme of this chunk is purity, holiness, obedience. And the psalmist confesses, I want you, I seek you. Oh, Lord, I need you to cause me to obey and not to stray. But he's also aware of other things Scripture has said we can do. This is what we're talking about, this sort of synergy. This, we have responsibility. We have things that God has called on us to do in pursuing holiness. And one of them is preparing for temptation beforehand. Deposit God's word in your heart for temptation tomorrow. I mean, think, think in Luke's gospel. You remember in Luke's gospel, the Lord Jesus. What's he doing as a 12-year-old in Jerusalem for three days straight? He's studying the scripture. And Luke tells us that in part, so that when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and to every one of Satan's temptations, he says, it is written. We're to make the connection that that was part of his preparation, part of the reason why the 30, 33-year-old Jesus perfectly obeys and doesn't break when tempted is because 12-year-old Jesus, and presumably 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 year Jesus' his entire life. But we saw the snapshot of 12-year-old Jesus. Studied the word diligently. It's the best thing hidden in the best place for the best purpose. And so one of the preparations we make in obeying God is memorizing Scripture. This is why the Awana program is such an emphasis on that. God's Word is powerful. And when you memorize Scripture, when you deposit it in your heart. You give the Holy Spirit strong ammunition, strong tools, strong 
weapons in, in shepherding and guiding us in holiness. You want a practical thing to do if God's put his thumb on some area of your life, some sin in your life, some faithlessness in your life that you're aware he, he wants you to change and grow in? Memorize scripture relating to it. Thy word have I hidden my heart. I, I, I learned it in the King James. I'm sure many of you did. That I might not sin against you. You want to pursue God? You want to pursue holiness? Memorize his word. Trust him that he says that is an effective tool. Place it in your heart. Memorize it. So the psalmist's response to the, the question, how, how can I keep my way pure? You can only keep your way pure by holding fast, conforming your life to God's word. Okay, then I want God. I pursue him. I seek him. I'm calling on him to keep his word that when I seek him, I will find him. I need his help. And if his word is the measurement, then I'm taking his word and I'm depositing it in my heart. That's at least something I can do. I can, I can have his word ready. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, he didn't, Jesus did not respond. Hold on, there's a verse somewhere, I know. Um, hold on a sec. He was just response, response, response. So that's the first section, the most practical of questions. Now we shift to the most blessed of teachers. The structure of, of this strophe is similar to last week's. Remember in last week, the first section dealt with man and God's standard. And then the center of the section was verse 4. You command your precepts to be kept diligently. God's at the center of the section. Same thing here. Same thing here. The questions asked in verses 8 through 11. In verses 13 to 16, he responds again. The center of this is his praise and blessing of God. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. I commented last week that the blessing could be mean literally happy, prosperous, stable, but I like happy. Have you ever paused to think that God is the happiest person in existence? Not usually how you like to think of God, but it's true, I assure you. God is the most joyous, happy, content, satisfied person who exists. If he weren't, he'd have someone to be envious of, wouldn't he? That seems unimaginable. But the scripture declares this. Listen to Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. If God has a pleasure, something would make him happy. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He doesn't have unfulfilled desire. And so the psalmist turns to God and declares him to be blessing's true source. The psalm began with a praise of blessing on these people, but the only reason these people who keep God's word, who walk in his law, have a blessing is because God is the fountain of blessing. We, we saw the last description of them. Remember, they walk in his ways. Verse 3, when you walk in the path of the blessed one, you're blessed. When you conform to his image, you're blessed. And he declares God ultimately as the source of blessing. Then, in response to that, because God is this overflowing fountain of blessing, he asks for blessing. You get our second petition here. The first, don't let me wander. Lead me not into temptation. The second, teach me. 
And again, the logic flows out of the, the answer to the question, how can I be pure? Well, I've got to conform my life to his word. Well, then I've got to understand what his word says. Right? That, that's the logic. The logic is I need to depend upon the author's aid. And again, the, the other assumptions implicit here is that Scripture means something, not some things. We live in a day where it's popular to talk about your reading and my reading and your interpretation and my interpretation. The psalmist says, I want God's interpretation. Teach me your precepts. And when God teaches you, he's not giving you a perspective, he's giving you perspective. When the author tells you what something means, that's what it means. So God's word alone defines holiness, and God himself defines what his word means. In the New Testament, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2 that God has given us his Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. One of the amazing realities of the new covenant is if you're a born-again Christian, you have the author living inside of you there in part to teach you. And so we need to seek God in understanding his word. We need our desire to be not what I think it means or my perspective on what it means, but I'm seeking what God means, what it means. Now, there's place for humility in that, saying, I think I know what Paul's saying here. I think I know what God's saying here. But the target has to always be what the text means. That, that's what we've got to aim for. And we need to call on God to teach us. So the psalmist stops. He looks to God, declares him blessed, declares him the source of blessing, and then says, teach, I need you to teach me. And again, there's humility here. This guy's writing scripture. A lot of it. And it's clear from reading this psalm, he's well aware of other scripture. And yet he says, I, I need you to teach me. You're never going to get far enough along that you ever be stopping from asking God to teach you. You and I will always need him to teach us. And the good news is because he is blessed, because he's this overflowing fountain of blessing, he delights to do that. He delights to teach. Um, so we've seen the most practical questions. We've looked at the most blessed of teachers. And now let's look finally at the most fitting of commitments. The most fitting of commitments. Verses 13 to 16. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now this chunk contains exclusively declarations about the psalmist's current activity or promises about his future activity. So we've had our petitions. We've had our prayer requests. There's two in this section. Don't let me stray. Teach me. We've seen the praise. Remember I told you we're looking for praise, petition, and promise. We've seen the praise. You're blessed. We'll see some more praise here. We've seen the petition. Don't let me wander. Teach me. This Final section is primarily concerned with the psalmist's commitment. What he will do. The promise. So let's look at this. First point. Even as you're seeking to be Scripture's student, be Scripture's student and its teacher. Be Scripture's student and its teacher. It's remarkable. He just said, teach me. And yet he's currently 
declaring all the rules of God's mouth. Teach me your statutes with my lips I declare all your rules. Not I will, I am right now. Even as he's seeking instruction, he's seeking to be taught, his mouth is open, saying what? Declaring all of God's rules. He is a student and a teacher. God intends for us to both learn from him and speak that to others. Be scripture student and teacher. Three, three things of this. Note the, the, the language here. Literally, it's from his mouth to your tongue. With my lips, I declare the rules of your mouth. I mean, think about that. When you speak God's word, it's as though God is speaking in some sense. That's, that's the rationale of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God making his appeal through us. There's a way to plead with people, to reconcile to Christ, where God himself is pleading through us. The psalmist here pictures not some dry page, but the words from your mouth he's put on his lips. That's, that's a tremendous privilege. You can have on your lips the words from God's mouth. God would have you do that, to speak those things. Secondly, um, this is, of course, only possible because of what he said in verse 11. And here we see the heart's treasure yields public dividends. In the first instance, the first reason to memorize God's word he gives in verse 11 is so that we might not sin. Why memorize scripture? As a protection from future sin, that, that you might walk in holiness. Why might I memorize scripture? So that I could speak to others. This deposit stored up in verse 11 is yielding public dividends. The psalm, this, the, before the printing press, most people aren't working around with Scripture. So if you're speaking God's Word, it's because you've memorized God's Word. Almost certainly. So here's another reason why we might prioritize memorizing Scripture. That you can bless others. Point three. Be not a recipient, but a conduit of grace. Be not a recipient, but a conduit of grace. You're asking for God to help you. And one of the things we've stressed is that God intends to help you and answer our prayers, but he also wants to do 50,000 other things with it. So if God delivers you, he wants you to praise him. He wants you to pass it on. Well, here he's saying, teach me. And he's making it clear, I'm not the end of this prayer request. If you teach me, I will speak what you're teaching me. Right? You get the idea? You're buying into gospel logic, into God's priorities. He knows God's desire is that his name be praised. He knows that God desires that his word will be spoken. He's saying, if you teach me, because I, I speak your commandments, I speak your word. So even as you're learning, you may think, well, I can't quote scripture. I can't tell people what God has said. I still need to learn. So does the psalmist. And it's not stopping him. This isn't future. Not I will. When I finish studying, I'm going to get my PhD and get some letters after my name. Teach me, even as I am, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Colossians 3.16, New Testament says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching 
and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what should characterize the people of God. God's word should be dwelling in us richly, and then it should be overflowing in our lips, in our singing, in our speech, in our correction, in our exhortation. We should be speaking God's word. And if you want God to teach you, you better be prepared to speak it to others. Otherwise, you're just going to get bottled up. Be a conduit of grace, not just a recipient. And finally, point B, have the right priorities. Have the right priorities. Verses 14, 15, and 16. The way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Have the right priorities. First point here. Believe what God says about his word. Why why do I say that? The Bible insists, turn to Psalm 19. The Bible insists that if you could choose between having a pile of gold, silver, and gems and understanding scripture, you would be well advised to choose understanding scripture. The Bible insists that God's word is more valuable than that. So I have to ask you the question, do you believe that? Really, do you believe that? I'll show you. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And then tying in even further with our theme, look at verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. But look at verse 10 and 11. That is, do you you believe verse 10 and 11? Do you believe it? Or do you believe money is more important? Or do you believe success in your business is more important? Or do you believe that achievement in other fields is more important? Respect of your peers is more important. The psalmist declares, in the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I think because he believes what God has said about his word. And so I challenge you to to, to believe this. Believe what scripture says about itself. And even if in your own affections, in your own feelings, you say, well, I know that's true, but I don't really feel it. Okay, fine, then make that your prayer request. Lord, help me to value your word as I ought. Because the Bible insists there is nothing more valuable and important than having, treasuring, understanding, keeping God's word. Believe in what he says about his word. And you're going to see that priority through how you spend your time and energy. How you spend your time and how you spend your energy. I mean, we, 
We spend years preparing for careers, going through college, grad school, and by doing so, we demonstrate the priority. That, and, and there should be a priority in earning an income, earning a living. That, that's not wrong. I'm just trying to make the connection that you can see clearly the priority placed upon earning an income. We see the priority placed in sports, the amount of time spent practicing. And again, I'm not, I'm not in any way speaking against that. The point I'm just making is when we value something, when something's important to us, we can see that by the amount of time, energy, and attention we give to it. Do you believe God when he says his word is more to be desired than piles and piles of money? And could you see evidence of that? If you don't see the evidence you'd like to see, may I suggest two things. Praying that God would change your heart. Praying that God would incline your heart to his testimonies. Just look a little ahead in Psalm 119 to verse 36. Pray verse 36. O Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my heart away from money to your word. Turn my heart away from career to your word. And then make the time. Make the commitment. Carve out the time. You can't ask God to teach you and then not give him the opportunity to do it. Lord, teach me your word in the two minutes a week that I set aside to study it. No, you've got to desire it. You've got to hunger for it. And if you don't, don't pretend you do. But then ask God, verse 36, Lord, make me hunger for it. Make me desire it. Believe what God says about his word. And then examine that belief by seeing how you spend your time and your energy. Would anyone who had an outline of your week conclude, man, this person really treasures scripture? Okay, moving on. Point C. Determine to study the word diligently. In verse 15 and 16, we get to the future tense. These are the promises most clearly seen. Here's what I will do. Up to now, we've seen what we do do. With, your, with my lips, I declare all your rules. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And I will meditate in your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. So verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Determined to study the word diligently. You see, the psalmist, because he's memorized it, at any time in the day, can then call to mind what is memorized and think about it, chew on it, unpack it. We, we call that Bible study. Dwelling on God's word, thinking about God's word. And again, he, he asks for God to teach him, and he's not sitting back passively. Okay, zap me so that I'll know what your word says. Teach me, and I'm going to dwell on your word constantly. We, we see that harmonization of human effort and divine sovereignty. Teach me, and I'm going to devote myself to prizing and studying and meditating and thinking about your word. Um, this is how God intends it. To turn to, quickly, turn to Deuteronomy 6. We will sing our closing song this morning. So. But Deuteronomy 6 lays out this pattern. Maybe you're tempted to think this is just hyperbole. We're going over the top. Listen to Deuteronomy 6. Well, well-known passage the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Get the idea. God, God really intends for us pretty much always and everywhere to be thinking about, talking about, meditating on his word. We saw in the New Testament, Colossians, that the, if the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, we'll be teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So, so what can you practically do? You can commit. You can promise and commit that you will study and meditate on God's word. You can carve out that time. You can commit before God. I'm going to spend more time in your word. I'm going to spend more time thinking about your word, talking about your word. These are some practical things you can and should do. Determined to study the word diligently. And finally, practically resolve to remember God's word. Practically resolve to remember God's word. Oh, to lighten your statutes, I will not forget your word. For the, for the Christian, the, the perennial temptation for us is forgetfulness. Forgetting you're a slave, forgetting that you're purchased by Christ, forgetting that you're under another's will and rule, forgetting what your master has said. And so you need to proactively, like the psalmist here, plan, commit. I won't forget. So what do you do? You rem One of the reasons daily Bible reading is so important, not only because it helps you deposit God's word in your heart, not only because it helps you meditate on the word, it reminds you of what is true. Listen to um, how Paul, how Paul, Peter begins 2 Peter 2, verses 12 to 15. I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may able, be able at any time to recall these things. You get what Peter's saying? Peter's saying, I'm writing this, even though you already know this, so that you'll be able to read it and remind yourself of these things. And as Christians, it's not to say, okay, I know this stuff. You've you got to keep reminding yourself of these things. This is practically what it means to pursue holiness. It means pursuing God, treasuring his word in your heart, committing to speak it to others, committing to studying it, and, and maybe if you're stymied in your faithfulness to God, maybe if your walk isn't being as faithful, here are some things you can do. Here are some prayers you can pray. Here are some requests you can make. Here are some commitments you can put into practice in your life. God has commanded us to receive this blessing. His word is the standard. He's the source of blessing. Ask him to teach you. Ask him to keep you and commit to pursuing him diligently. This is the path of pure